So recently, we were driving to the Outlet Mall in Grove City, and we were on our way there, and we were doing our very best to drive uh, in difficult weather. It was Labor Day, and if you remember, there was a lot of rain on Labor Day, and I mean a tremendous amount of rain, and the road conditions were very difficult. So I got in the car. I knew we were going to the Outlet Mall to, to Grove City, Pennsylvania. We were going to see our, our, our daughter Katie briefly, and so I get in the car, and I look, and up front, and Hannah is driving. Now, Hannah is learning to drive, and Hannah is doing a tremendous job learning to drive. However, these were really bad conditions. They were really bad conditions, and I was worried, not because I felt like Hannah wasn't prepared for it, but because it was just difficult times. And as we were driving along, Hannah did great. She drove through the rain. She got a little nervous. There are big trucks, you know, and they throw the water where it feels like you're at a water park, only you didn't want to be at a water park. And all that water, you know, you know what I mean? When you're driving and all of a sudden it's like someone pours a lake full of water on your car. And she did a great job. I mean, she was nervous. I would have been nervous. And she did a great job. She got us there with no trouble. And we talked about that. And she, she actually brought it up because she'd been paying attention to drive team. Good job. Um, and she said, yeah, you know, when, when I can't see when the water comes, I just look for the lines. I got to keep the car between the lines. And having driven on Route 8 in the last week, a lot of people don't follow that advice. So it was really good that she was doing that. And I was driving along and watching Mandy just kind of give her the little encouragement every once in a while, like, hey, good job. Yep, that was the right thing to do. And as I sat there, I was just thinking about, and often in, in, in our faith and in our lives, and we hear this a lot in Christianity today about this idea that we face storms and we face these surges out of nowhere where we, we feel just utterly overwhelmed and we don't know what to do. But more than that, like she felt driving in the car, you can almost feel when those difficult, painful times, and some people get frustrated or roll their eyes when in Christianity we call those the storms of life. And I don't know that that's a bad analogy because much like in our lives, when we were driving that day, you get the, the deluge, the big pouring of water, and you really can't even see where you're going. Have you ever felt like that in your life? And maybe right now, with all that's going on, you feel a little like that, where every once in a while, there seems to almost be a break in the storm. And all of a sudden, it seems like this just huge rush of chaos or uncertainty or whatever it is just comes pouring in your life, and you're just trying to make sure you're keeping your life as best as you're able between the lines. You just want to keep it moving forward. I think storms are a good analogy for that. There's changing, there's difficult, even painful circumstances. And like we talked about last week as we began in the book of James, for many of us, our natural inclination is just to avoid that pain at all costs. We don't want to experience it. And that's what our culture trends to value when there's hardship, difficulty, uncertainty, when we feel blinded or frustrated when we feel that difficulty is overwhelming us, we don't know what to do. And in fact, we can feel almost like we're blind. And in the book of James, this is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's written this book to guide those in the early church who were experiencing similar circumstances. The church had been scattered by persecution, and, and they didn't know what to do. And as the circumstances changed in their world, they were overwhelmed. There were real times of struggle and anguish. And just like how Hannah felt when she was nervous driving the car that day, how the church felt then, how we as Christians may feel today, 
We may feel that it's so easy in those moments when all of that comes pouring in our lives that we could just wreck everything. It's just so easy for us to do that. It doesn't matter if you're 16 and learning to drive or if you're 80 and you've been on the road of life all these years. There are these moments that come when you thought you'd know more, you thought you'd have more figured out, and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm not sure how I'm going to make it through this set of circumstances, this struggle, this impossible thing that I'm facing. How am I going to make it through? There are Christians around the world who are facing persecution and death for their faith, where the circumstances have shifted against them. There are churches here in America in different places, different circumstances with what's going on in our country, where they're not sure how to address the needs of their community or in fact, they're, they're not sure how they're going to even keep their church open. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's practical. Maybe the restrictions of what's going on in their state are, are causing them to struggle. There are all kinds of things going on where I think Christians in our world are trying to figure out, how do I keep my life between the lines of what God desires? How do I know that I'm doing what God has for me to do? And last week, we talked about that James calls on Christians to adopt a, a pretty radical attitude. When these trials, when these stormy times, these difficult, painful times in life come, James tells us we are to consider them joy. And if you tuned in for that, if not, look on the website and check that out. But if you tuned in for that, in these painful and uncertain times, we saw that God will even use these times to produce spiritual and practical endurance to grow and deepen the faith in our lives. He'll use even those impossible circumstances to make us more the people he wants for us to be. And while we know that even, maybe you've gone through some of that, as the next storm approaches, it can be so hard to figure out what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to move forward. How are we going to do this? And we're going to talk about this today. And there's a further element to this time in our lives as we walk through these storms. How do we know? The further element is this, in the process of this spiritual maturation, as we have spiritual maturity, we must add in the significant element of spiritual wisdom, or what we would call godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is vital to our spiritual maturity. And so today we're going to answer three questions. We're going to talk about what is godly wisdom, and we're going to learn how we obtain it as followers of Jesus Christ. And then third, we're going to figure out what this does. What does godly wisdom provide? What does it change in our lives and who we are and how we live? And that's what James wants to teach us today. Wisdom not from ourselves. Wisdom that originates in the heart of God, in the mind of God, that is given to us by the power of that Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Spirit dwells within you. And there are times when you're beyond yourself, and that's why God dwells within you and within me, so we would know how we are to live. So let's, lenter, let's enter into God's word today. James chapter 1 again, picking up right where we left off last week in verses 5 through 8. Let's read that together now, starting in verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So that's God's holy word. And as we enter into it today, 
we're going to understand this pretty quick. If you want to get through things in life, you got to figure out where you are, what you need, and, and where you're going. And in that experience, in that process, we understand this idea of wisdom, but we need to define that, first of all, really define that for ourselves. And before we can answer the question of what is godly wisdom, we should probably talk for a moment about wisdom and what it is. But before we get to that, in our world today, it is no doubt, there is no doubt, it is certain that we value knowledge. Would you guys agree with that? We value knowledge. In fact, we require probably more knowledge in our world now, at least instantly require it, than we ever have before. That's why companies like Google are so profitable and so famous. We want knowledge. Right now, if you don't know how to do something, if you don't know the answer, you're trying to remember something. I'll be honest, you're probably arguing with your spouse about who's right about something. This is usually how this happens, right? If you've not done this, you're lying to me. If you're, you're that's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And, I, and what's the first thing someone will do in today's world? You'll see them get out their phone. This happens in my house with those younger than me. I'll say something, and there's something about my personality where people think I'm full of baloney. Maybe it's because sometimes I am full of baloney, but also there's a lot of times where I'm not, and so I enjoy it when the younger people, perhaps we have everybody together, all the kids are around, and we're out to dinner, and I'll say something, and I won't, I'm not going to single out which one of them it is, but one of them will pull out their phone, real, and I'll see it like if we're out eating, it's under the table. But I know at that moment, I am being fact-checked. I am. I'm being, Dad is being fact-checked, right? Because he's full of baloney. And then when I hear, I don't look up, I hear, Gosh, yeah, which means they found out I was telling the truth and I was accurate in everything I had said. And I take this small measure of delight in that moment. I mean, come on, Dad. So you're not usually right. You just think to yourself, score one for Dad. There you go. You just think to yourself, all right, you don't say anything. You just go on like you didn't even notice it. And if not, there's an inter- it's usually like you're cross-examined. Oh, excuse me. I was just looking here. But then they can get into a fight. Well, did you look at Wikipedia? Well, they can put anything on Wikipedia. Well, did you go here? Well, did you go there? It gets, it gets thick quickly, doesn't it? It gets really deep. Knowledge. We value it. Information and data, it's all well and good, but we struggle to discern whether it's right, accurate, or whether it's true, as in truth with a capital T. You see, we can all have knowledge. In fact, we all have tons of it at our fingertips. But do we have wisdom? And do we know the difference? Now, knowledge is defined in the dictionary as being acquainted with facts, truths, and other information mainly acquired from study or investigation. So you're acquainted with the facts You've studied up. You have the facts, the information. In our world, of course, we, we like that. But is that information accurate? Isn't this the struggle in our world right now? How do we know what's true? Well, I have a set of facts over here. Well, I have a set of facts over here that says that your facts are baloney. Oh, yeah, well, your facts are from this source. Well, your facts are from that. And it becomes this impossible merry-go-round. And nothing comes out of it. I think that's by the power of the Holy Spirit why James wasn't talking about the acquiring of knowledge. 
And in fact, I would submit to you that in our sinful desire to be like God, we think acquiring knowledge is going to equate us to having the wisdom that God has. And I'm all for knowledge. I love to learn things. If any of you know me well, I'm always watching a documentary or watching something on YouTube and trying. I love to learn. Something my dad and mom taught to me with the time I was small. I love to learn. And I got plenty to learn because I don't know a whole lot about anything. It's great. It's a, good, it's a good relationship between me and the world. But what I really need in my life when the storms come is wisdom. What is wisdom? On the other hand from knowledge, wisdom is defined as a state of being wise, having the power of discernment and judging properly what is true and right. In other words, you get the knowledge, you have the knowledge, and not only that, you're able to figure out through a process of deduction and understanding from experience and relationship with those around you, with God above you and the Spirit within you, you can figure out what is true and right. Boy, does our world need some of that right now. We need some of that. We need to understand wisdom, an overarching perspective, superior experiences acquired over a period of time through both physical or temporal time and space relationships and eternal spiritual relationships with God above us and the Spirit within us. Now we're getting somewhere because wisdom is something you don't acquire through arguments on Facebook, through a TED Talk you watch on YouTube, through all the books that you can read, they alone will not give you wisdom. Wisdom is the quality of mastery of a knowledge that has been tested and found to be true and trustworthy, forged through the fires of adversity, through the storms of life. It's proven, it's refined, it's experienced throughout our lives. And just when we think we have enough of it, we find we need more of it than we already have acquired. And what we see here is that wisdom is only as good, is only as profitable, is only as true with a capital T as the source from which we acquire it. All information is not equal. And yet, in the end, we can argue over what we find is true, but there's only one source, one place, where true wisdom can be found. Only one place. Just like Hannah had to go to drive team and learn to drive, but yet she really figured out what driving was about and how it felt and how it, how it was experienced when she had to drive through that storm. That's when she figured out that she really had good knowledge. She really understood how to apply it. That was trustworthy and good knowledge because it got her to the destination she was trying to get to. The same way in our lives. How do we figure out the knowledge, the truth that gets us? How do we find out what's wise that gets us to where we need to be? In short, what we find out, what we accept as being true and trustworthy is only good if it's forged through the fires of adversity, the difficult and stormy moments. If it gets us to where we're supposed to be, it's true. Otherwise, maybe it's not true at all. And for us as believers, we understand that the source of eternal destination, the, the source of real truth, is God and God alone. <clears throat> the life-giving, unending, accurate truth from God.
<clears throat> That's what we're looking for in our lives, isn't it? James 1.5 starts with this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. This seems so easy for us. God's the source of wisdom. If you're a Christian, you and I should know that. But yet, even when we know that, do we live in it? Do we act upon it? Do we see God for who he is and for what he offers? You see, I think for most of us, when we face trials in our lives, we struggle. The fear and the uncertainty overwhelms us, and we start looking around us and not looking to God. And we all start with the same question. God, why is this happening to me? Have you asked God that question ever? I know I ask God that question. Some of you, maybe when you interact with me, you think, God, why is this happening to me? I don't know. If not me, there's probably some situation or something in your life where you just think, oh, no. Have you done that? I know I do that often. I'd like to say I don't. But instead of acting in faith, I immediately start where I start weighing things out and saying, God, why is this happening? Instead, what James is reminding us of us to do here is that we shouldn't start with the question of why, but we should start in faith and we ask the question, how? It's not that why is not an important question. I'm not saying you can't ask God why. But if you start with why, you're never going to get to how. And if you never get to how, you're never going to grow. And if you're never going to grow, you're not going to stay between the lines and you're not going to get to where you want to be. Don't start with why. Start with how. God, I trust you. I don't understand and I want to know why. But the question I really need to ask you today is, how can I understand what's happening in my life, these difficult circumstances, from your perspective? God, I want to understand this from your perspective because I'm going to trust in the fact that God, you are, and we're going to say God is the true source of wisdom. So I'm going to act in faith and I'm going to say, God, since you are the true source of wisdom, I want to see things from your perspective because you alone are wise and I am not. You alone are truth and I am not. And I have the power to only discern what is good and true because your spirit, which is good and true, is within me. I'm broken by sin. I've read the Bible. I understand this. So I'm not going to start with, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm not going to accuse you. Remember, sin brings accusation. We've talked about that. I'm going to start from an element of faith and say, God, I don't understand. I want to know why, but I'm going to ask you how I can see what's happening in my life from your perspective. God, give me the wisdom to see what's happening because I know that you are doing something good because I know you're good and I love you. Dr. Warren Wiersbe tells a story in his book, Be Wise, that he writes. And he talks about some of these passages and he's talking about this idea of acquiring wisdom. And there's a woman in his church. He's a good, great Bible teacher. And this woman, she had a stroke. And then her husband he became ill with a, a really bizarre ailment where he began to lose his sight. And it was a rapidly progressive, degenerating thing. He was going to lose his vision, never have it again. So Dr. Wearsby goes up to the woman. He, said, he just squeezed her hand one day. He said, I just want you to know, he and his wife, I, I'm praying. We're praying for you. 
And he just said, we are praying for you. What, is there something we can do? And she squeezed his hand back and looked him in the eye and she said, what exactly are you praying for? And he was taken back. Because pastors, we, we say that and we mean that. When I tell you I'm praying for you, I want you to know I really am praying for you. That's not just a catchphrase where I'm like, high five. Like, I, I write that down and I pray for you. He said, well, I'm praying for, for you to, to get through this. I'm praying for a miracle. I'm praying for all these different things to happen. I want healing. I want understanding. And she stopped him. She said, I appreciate that, but pray about one more thing. Pray that I will understand what God is doing and have the wisdom not to waste all of this that is happening to us right now. And Dr. Wearsby walked away and thought to himself, this woman clearly understands James 1, 5. She clearly understands that godly wisdom is both the perspective and the spiritual trust to follow God through the storm and even to ask God that he would teach you to walk along with him in obedience and have the resolve and the courage, the faithfulness to stay with him through the storm, through the pain, through the suffering, and through the uncertainty that we all experience in this sinful world. It's a spiritual skill that we develop. Godly wisdom is a spiritual skill we develop, a foundational byproduct of the spiritual endurance we began talking about last week. It's a necessary component. It's both something we must acquire and something we do acquire. If we follow God and trust in him as he walks us along, as we say, God, I want to understand what you're doing, he creates this wisdom within us, gained through difficulty in experience as we follow him. That's what he's saying. Proverbs 21.30 puts it this way. No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. All of our wisdom, friends, all of our understanding, everything we think we understand, God is both all-knowing and all-powerful. He is the sovereign God of all creation, and he knows what we can never fathom. And so when we learn to trust him for who he is and what he has and what he freely and generously and ungrudgingly gives us, well, that changes us. It's not something that hits us like a lightning bolt. God's wisdom doesn't just suddenly click on in us. It's something that we gain as we walk alongside God through the harshest moments in our lives and we walk in faith. Godly wisdom is a slow, continual process. Yes, there's wisdom in the world around us that we get, just we can learn knowledge and that's God's common grace. There's wisdom you can pick up that'll prove to help you out. But in the end, the truest and best wisdom is found when we trust God and we seek him in the midst of all of the turmoil and the storms of our lives. You see, that truest wisdom, that truest understanding happens to us as we're obedient to God, as we walk in grace alongside of him. Proverbs, like every other place in Scripture, sees God as the absolute source of truth. He is wisdom. And for us, that should be a comfort. 
Because as we naturally learn to trust God, to seek God, and to ask God to show us what he's doing, we can have faith in the fact that we know the source, the only source, the absolute and final source of wisdom. We know the source of wisdom, and that fact should change how we process and walk through these storms in our lives. We are spiritual people. And the greatest source of wisdom is not the facts that we observe in the world around us, but the God who spoke that very world into existence. And understanding all of the knowledge in the world around us in light of what God is doing through us and in us and perhaps through the lives of other godly people who are encouraging us as we pray and draw near to God, we can have a spiritual perspective on the physical world around us. And that changes us. It's transformative in our lives. Because not only can we understand who God is, but we can see more of what he's doing. We can learn to trust him in circumstances of our lives that are beyond us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 through 13, talks about this. And it's a powerful passage for us. It says, no wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. We can understand this idea in our lives. We can understand it from a perspective that, oh, I'm sorry, this Proverbs 21 again. I don't know what happened to my, my slides here, guys. Well, that got erased. Hold on a second. Let me read this to you then. 1 Corinthians 2, just trust me on this. This isn't God's word. My slide is wrong. It does happen. I am not perfect. I need more wisdom. Here we go. God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All of that to say, and I'm sorry that my slide somehow got fouled up, that's my fault, but... God is telling us here in 1 Corinthians that we receive the Holy Spirit to guide us when we can't understand in our natural selves what God is doing. When you're beyond yourself and you say, God, this, none of this makes any sense, that's when God says, trust me, follow me. My wisdom, my understanding is greater. It's greater. It's going to take you into a place where you're going to have my mind to guide you. You're going to have my perspective. God promises us that if we seek him, he is going to guide us along. Now, often I find in my life when I go through difficulty, it's only when I look back later on, after I've walked through what I've walked through, that I see that God had it figured out better than I did all along. Have you ever experienced that? That, my friends, is a tiny sliver of godly wisdom where God's Spirit almost gives you a hug and says, you see that? I had it figured out all along, 
but you couldn't see it because there was too much water on the windshield. There was too much storm all around you. You couldn't see it, but I had it all figured out the entire time. You just had to follow me. But in contrast, what happens if we don't listen, if we don't follow God? James 1.6 says it this way, but let him ask in faith. Here we go. We talked about this without doubting. We get that. For the doubter, here's the contrast, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. And we see a word there we'll talk about in a minute in the Greek. And this word is important for us to understand. This idea here of being tossed to and fro, back and forth. And here that doubting, that word, the doubting, that word there is diokrinomenos. That's a great word in Greek. You don't have to know that. Diokrinomenos is the word there. It's the root of that is where we get the idea of our word, you may figure this out, dichotomy. Right? And when you have a dichotomy, something is what? Split in half, right? You ever have that? Well, it's a dichotomy. It doesn't seem right. It's sort of this and it's sort of that, but it's really not either one. And this idea here, the word doubter here, that word, the idea of being one who is being torn apart, ripped in half, waffling between two ways of looking at everything, being ripped one way and the other, tossed around in the waves of doubt. Tossed around in the waves of doubt. I was trying to think of how to explain this. You've gone through this. I may have talked about this before. I'm sorry if you've heard this before. We would drive in the car when our kids were younger in middle school. And no matter what restaurant, if we said, where do you want to eat? If, if we were going out for dinner, it was a special night, we were going out for dinner, one of them would choose A, the other one would choose B. And then the other one would say, well, I like B, and the other one would say, no, I really wanted to go to C. No, I didn't want C, no, we're going to go to D. And eventually I would say, darn it, I will decide. And then I turn to my wife and say, where should we go? <laughs> so really my wife would decide, which she hated doing, but yet kind of really wanted to do, and it all worked out. And so mom would decide where we went to eat. But my kids were kind of like that, or like, have you ever seen the movie Inside Out with all the cartoon characters and they're all fighting over how to feel or what to believe or what to do? That's what this is describing here in the state of our soul and our mind, the depths of our being. This is right. That is right. I don't know what's happening there. I don't know what's happening there. It's like we're being torn apart. And here James is saying, but have you, are you, have you sought God? Are you seeking God? Are you listening to God? Ask in faith for wisdom and don't doubt because God has said he's going to give it to you and he's going to lead you through that storm. But you might not see where you're going till the end. The wind and the rain toss you around back and forth. But if your heart belongs to God, you're going to see that God is with you and you're going to seek God. You're going to pray. You're going to listen to the, the counsel of godly believers. But most of all, where do you know what God is saying? This is not a trick question. Where do you find it? The word of God. That's why we say we're a church built on discipleship. And we're trying to figure out in the midst of this COVID how we can restart our discipleship because we need to be learning from the word of God. Because if we don't, we're actually tear, torn apart. We're tearing ourselves apart from the inside out. James 7 and 8 in chapter 1. That person should not expect to receive anything. That one who is doubting, who is that dichotomy in their heart and mind. They're not going to receive anything from the Lord. Look here what it says. Being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. 
So that dichotomy continues to be described. There's no rest. There's no peace. There's no understanding. That word there, double-minded, dispuchos, that comes from that same root. Dis is like divided, torn apart. This is the idea. That word there in the original language means being of two different souls. Can you be, from, can you be of two different souls? You only have how many souls, right? You got one soul. I have one soul. You only ever get one soul. But the idea here is the idea that your entire being, your heart and soul is being ripped in half, almost like there's two different opposing versions of your soul. Does that work? No way. A soul divided between God's heart, God's desires, trusting in God, surrendering to God, as we talked about last week, following God, and one that hungers for sin, for control, just to have it all be done, no more pain. You see, Satan will promise you anything in the midst of a storm to get you to turn your eyes away from God and to follow him. It's a lot like one of those spy movies where if you just tell me what you want to know, I'll make the pain stop. You ever notice that about Satan? But God here says, I will see you through this if you will follow me. But you can't be divided of two souls. You can't fail to commit to God's ways. You can't fail to commit to God's words, to God's truth, and just think you're going to go your own way. Because what's going to happen is that we're literally going to divide our ability to understand, our ability to grow, our ability to love, our ability to hope, to care, to mercy. It actually tears us apart, and we're no good to ourselves, and we're no good to anybody else. I think that's what's happening in our world right now. Have you ever seen people more divided in themselves and against each other than you have right now? Sin always destroys, always divides. And it always takes us farther away from God's plans than what we could ever imagine. Take, for example, we'll just for a moment, the issue of abortion in our, in our country, in our world. We're not going to talk about this politically. We don't do that mess here. But morally and spiritually, first we were just going to have this idea that there would be just abortion if there had to be. Now it's abortion on demand without apology. And now we've moved on to the fact that they're actually literally arguing about whether a baby is born alive if they can still kill it. You see how sin never is static. It moves you away. It tears you apart till there's nothing left. You're not even human anymore with where you end up. Do you think God's going to bless us? Can you believe in a country that values freedom, that we're having that? There, there are people literally having this conversation in positions of power right now. That hurts my soul so deeply, I don't even know what to say. I'm sure it does with you as well. We become so blinded by sin, so double-minded, so lost in the fog, in the rain, in the storms of the sinful world around us, the sin that's even within us, we cannot see the lines on the road and we scream at each other on social media or we hold up slogans and we don't stop and step back and take a deep breath and say, God, I am a broken sinner. I have no idea. I am torn apart inside. Put me back together. Get me back between the lines and show me what is true and good and right, even if it's hard and even if people around me don't think I have a clue. God, lead me. 
That's what James is calling us to do here today. He's calling us to do two things. To ask and to trust. How do we follow God? We ask and we trust. That's what we are to do. First, all the way back in verse 5, it talked about this. We ask. Ephesians 3 reminds us, in him we have boldness and confident access through, again, faith. This is a spiritual wisdom, a godly wisdom. We ask God to guide us by his grace. God, show us. God wants to draw us in. God wants to guide us through the storms. But we have to go to him and say, God, I think I know a lot, but I'm going to go to you. I'm going to go to your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek godly understanding. I'm going to seek to understand who you are and what you say. Your spirit within me, your word that I can read, that the spirit brings to life. I need a spiritual perspective on all the difficult and really hard to sort out things in the world around us. God, I need you to guide me. So start by saying, God, I need you to guide me. I'm not going to rely on my own stuff. I'm not going to rely on my own thing. I want you to guide me. I'm going to say, God, I don't know what to do. He loves you. He knows you. He understands what you need. God, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to trust that you do. So how do I see it from your perspective? Ask God to give you that wisdom. And the next thing we do is we ask that in faith. We trust. Hebrews eleven six 6 reminds us, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We trust God. We trust God, and that really means that we are asking God in full faith to use us in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulty. That goes back to James eleven six. 6. We act in faith. We step out in faith. We don't doubt, but we say, God, this doesn't make sense, but I know that you're bigger than all of this, so God, I'm going to trust you, and I know that I can't follow you, I can't please you, I can't love you unless I just say, God, you're God, and I'm not, and I don't know what's going on, but you do, and that's enough for me. We've lost the ability to follow God unless he instantly gives us an answer to the deepest longings of our heart. And if you read the book of Psalms, David spent his entire life, so did Solomon, the wisest man. They spent their entire lives trying to understand. In the Psalms and the Proverbs, these wisdom and these moments of ups and downs and ins and outs, and yet we think that God somehow, since it's 2020, better answer our question right away because this commercial break is almost over. I do it too. We ask God and we must trust God and we must be fully committed to learning from him. Even now, friends, in the midst of this difficulty, don't get caught up in the noise and the storm, but ask God and trust him to give you guidance. We need it when we struggle. We need it when we're hurting. Thinking about what we learned last week and this week in James, it can be powerful to see that, can, that God can and will use us in the midst of these storms if we would both ask him to guide us and trust him as he does, if we would seek him through prayer and through the study of his word. That's my encouragement to you this week, friends. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, and he will illuminate your heart and life. He will walk you along, no matter what you're facing. As I was reading and studying and looking at some things this week, I came across this quote from Johnny Erickson Tata. Do you guys know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? So she was in a diving accident as a teenager and was paralyzed. She's paraplegic. I'm sorry, she's quadriplegic. So, you know, she can't move anything from here down. 
And she's lived so many years. She's been a great inspiration to so many people. And she's a, a great woman of faith. And she's learned to trust God beyond her circumstances, beyond her pains, and beyond her suffering. She embodies everything we're talking about here. And she says God has taught her slowly and painfully this idea of slowly achieving or acquiring godly wisdom. And she says this, God engineered my circumstances. This is her being a, par- a quadriplegic. He used them to prove himself as well as my loyalty. I see faith there. Asking God for the how and not the why. Not everyone had this privilege. She considers it now a privilege, what she went through. Think about that. I felt there were only a few people God cared for in such a special way that he would trust them with this kind of experience. This understanding left me relaxed and comfortable as I relied on his love, exercising newly learned trust. I saw that my injury was not a tragedy, but a gift God was using to help me conform to the image of Christ, something that would mean my ultimate satisfaction, happiness, oh, here we go back to last week, even joy. Think about that. What is God saying to you today, even in these storms of your life, Are you uncertain as to what to do? Because sometimes when I look, friends, at the news or at the world around me, I'm uncertain. We must ask him and we must trust him with all of ourselves and to walk in faith with him, asking him to show us with his perspective what he's doing and what we are to do next, knowing that no hardship, nothing we endure, as we talked about last week, will ever be wasted. And in fact, he will use all these things to make us more like him, and to use us that others would see the difference between us and the world around us. Friends, that's what God is calling us to do. When we struggle, when we suffer, when we're uncertain, God will use even these storms in our lives to shape us and to guide us, to draw us closer, to become more his people. If we would only ask him, if we would only trust and walk alongside him, friends, believe who he is and that good things are right around the corner. Let's pray. God, I ask you today to guide us, to conform us, to be more your people this day, that we would know what it means to belong to you, that we would trust in all these things, that we would be your people, that we could belong to you, that we could be changed to be more like you. God, that we would know what it means to belong, not just as those who are saying, God, why is this happening to me? but that we would be actively participating in your plan of redemption, saying, God, how are you using these things to make me more like you? God, how are you bringing goodness? I know who you are. I know that you love me. I know that you'll never leave me. The storms are everywhere, God. I can't see even a foot in front of me as to what to do. God, help me. Guide me. I need you. I need you to show me. You can see beyond this. You can guide me. You will guide me. You said you're going to use this for good. God, in faith, I ask you to walk me through this. I ask you to take me. God, I'm going to trust you. Do what only you can do in my life. God, I pray that that would be our prayer for our world right now, that we would be that salt and light, that we would be that example of walking in faith and not by sight, that we would be that example of trusting in you and obeying in you and trusting that you are the God who has love and who has grace. And by your amazing grace, that you would show us that you will never stop loving us, you will never stop leading us, guiding us, using us, or making us more your people, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.